1: welcome to Punching Out. I'm Lou. This week we are recording with Amanda. Hi, and Zoe, our long, flung, far-flung correspondent. Hello, Zoe. <laughs> so welcome back. This officially makes you. Thank you, you for you... having me. Yeah, oh, you're absolutely. You're doing us a favor, friend. So <laughs> this officially <laughs> makes you the the. Uh, most popular guests, and honestly, let's just make you a host at this point. You're a host. Yay! Yay! Oh, man, I'm so <laughs> excited for my crown to get here. Oh, that's a good idea. All right. Well, okay, so this week we are talking about kind of a broad subject, uh, but we're going to put kind of a finer point on it. So we're going to be looking at the issue of women representation in administrative positions or leadership Uh, so very big broad topic as most of you would probably know Um, but we're gonna be looking at it from the the lens of women in sports again because sports seem to be a really good lens for us to be talking about labor issues in general because it's not something that many people think of as a labor issue but a lot of the problems of you Union representation, um, compensation, contracts, all these other things that are definitely labor topics um, are actually something that's talked about in almost everyday life uh, between, you know, regular people, which isn't true yeah. of other labor issues.
2: Well, it's always, like, reflects larger cultural, like, normal things. Like, you know, what is normal in sports? Is often like reflected back in wider society, Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a really good place to kind of benchmark and see like what people Mm -hmm. are willing to accept in you know their entertainment. It's usually somewhat analogous to what they're willing to accept in their everyday life.
3: Yep.
2: Um, Which you know, once you start thinking about that, especially like if you're, God forbid, like an NFL fan or something, it gets pretty grim. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I So so this this topic came up between uh, between us when we were talking not on the show cuz sometimes we do do that. Uh we Zoe you had a friend of yours, correct, that um wrote an article Kind of criticizing. How did that come about? A, I can't remember a Twitter um, thread. Right? A
2: Twitter
3: thread. Yeah, it, articles. Twitter threads that. are articles now. Yeah, <laughs> it's flash uh, fiction. It's flash nonfiction. No, that's,
2: um, yeah, someone, <laughs> someone that I uh, that I correspond with occasionally, like kind of in the in the sports media realm, because I run you know a women's sports mm-hmm. website, so I kind of I get in with these people who do critical kind of textual criticisms of, um, you know, sports journalism, uh, particularly from a feminist perspective. And, uh, there's an, an article on a popular website. I don't know if I, if I should name it, but it was basically like a long form feature by a guy like about why aren't there more women coaching men. And it basically, it was like, a, a kind of inspiration porn about like this,
0: this mm-hmm. woman coming
2: mm-hmm. in to, uh, to coach a men's team and, you know, the, the whole framing of it was that, like, you know, she just doesn't fit in because she's so feminine. And it's like, you know, it, it, are we just, like, shoehorning her in here? We're not talking about, like, why exactly, um, you know, she hasn't had this opportunity before or why this is, like, such an uphill battle to get, you know, women in leadership positions where they might be considered to be, I don't know, a man's boss. And that's normal, like, in mm-hmm. sports. And it's still not normal everywhere else, either, like you yeah. were saying, so... Um, it's, it kind of raises the question, uh, for me as a lot of, you know, I've asked this question a lot, particularly about women in sports is like, why is it the aspiration to like this fit into, you know, what people say is a man's world? Like, why aren't we creating alternatives? Why aren't we actually disrupting, uh, what the power structure is, or like just being in our own power structure and saying, you know, screw that. I'm not going to be part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, like why is that the goal is to just be in in this thing that already exists that is kind of bad and full of toxic masculinity et cetera?
3: right and um the, the point we've made this point so many times on our socialist feminist collective hosted episodes in various various forms various iterations of the <laughs> <laughs> any possible iteration uh that it you know you it, there's no right way to like you can't just put on a suit and walk into a boardroom and th- because there is there is much there are much deeper systemic things going on than sim- than those like ath- right. basically aesthetic uh features like you know capitalism <laughs> sexism <laughs> racism right. thing- things that are not you can't just like transcend them through pure will yeah
2: that- right. And it's, it's not like a, it's not like a lean in thing, you know, right. like we're not all like Sheryl Sandberg, you know, basically screwing over everyone underneath us just to, you know, be respected among them. Future yeah,
1: episode to come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. We, we will do one on Lee, one, lean in eventually, I promise. Okay. Yeah. So it's from somebody who, who isn't a huge sports fan and everything like that, I still see the problems with with representation and and we accept so many things as just being the way they are like well the amanda found a lot of statistics that were really kind of cool that um in the 70s was it like 90 percent of women's sports were yeah. coached by women so
3: in the year the year right before title nine was passed um Oh, my goodness. It was like 90% of all women's sports were coached by women. And then. Um, I think it was 2014. By 2014. 2014. Some recent, um, a recent year. (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) That was sometime after the 1970s. Yeah. It was like 48%, something like that. Yeah. Were coached by women. So women's sports are majority coached by men. Which is weird.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. There's um you know, we're talking about this a lot in the women's hockey sphere right now because a lot of coaches are getting hired um to coach women's hockey teams and they're primarily like ex NHL players, you know, to yeah. so their men. Uh, yeah. and it's really it's really uncommon for a woman to get and keep like you know, a head coaching position, mm-hmm. uh, even for a women's team, it's still very uncommon. Yeah. yeah. Um, like the U.S. national team only had um, a woman coach, uh, Katie Stone, for like one Olympic cycle.
3: Yeah. So, um, do, as 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 a sports writer, do you think, do you have any like opinions on like or knowledge of why that is aside from like basic sexism? <laughs> um, I think that it's. It's, like, like, we're saying, like, we're assigning all of this...
2: I, I tend to call it, like, rhetorical prestige because it's, like, it's not real mm-hmm. prestige. It's just prestige in the way we talk. So we assign this, like, rhetorical prestige to men's sports. So when you're bringing someone in who's, like, an ex-NHL player, even if he's, like, a mediocre ex-NHL player, like mm-hmm. a real middle-of-the-road guy. I mean, a lot of coaches aren't great players, like, that's... And a lot of great players have been terrible coaches. Right. Um, so it's, like... But it's just, like, that... Having that experience of having played in, a, in, a, in an elite men's league, it just it brings some elevation to the job when you describe it. Whereas like when you're describing like a woman coming in, regardless of like how successful her playing or coaching or initiative career has been, it's almost like it feels second class when you talk mm-hmm, about yeah. it and when you try to like when you try to write about it in the same way that you might write about um, a man's experience in the field like it it either rings hollow particularly when it's like men writing the press releases or like it almost feels like you're tolerating her
3: um i mean
2: then that's it's like um and plus like a lot of women who have these opportunities to go on and coach like you know women's teams don't pay a great deal of money so it's like they need to work they need to you know put food on the table support their families support themselves um so they really don't have, I think, as much opportunity to advance their careers just because they need to actually do something that pays them a living wage.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Whereas I think a lot of men who are coming into these coaching positions, like they're coming off of other coaching gigs that were high profile, or you know, they they have savings and pensions from when they were, you know, professional players. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's just it's a structural inequality. Yeah. Believe it, believe it or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, Amanda, you found an article that that, in addition to saying a lot of the things that Zoe you've already said uh, on top of others, um, mentioned the fact that the limited resources and problems with being able to commit the time to it when women are expected to do a lot more outside of their jobs than men are typically. Um, that, for example, in uh, professional soccer, um the licensing process for for becoming a coach or, or whatever it was it was very expensive and time consuming mm-hmm.
3: and and women didn't have the res- the access to the resources like the same guide through the process mm-hmm. that men did some of the in- administrative resources so like you know they had to go through this incredibly complicated bureaucratic like process of licensing to become a coach and they had no clue what they were doing because they didn't have the information available, the same information available to them. So,
2: yeah. I mean, and so much of the time it's like, it's just because you know, a guy or it's like, you're already Mm -hmm. kind of there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, the, uh, the Buffalo Buttes and the NWHL just fired, they had two kind of co-head coaches who had been with the organization since it was founded and they fired both of them and brought in an ex NHL player. And then like another coach, Mm -hmm. who uh, you know, just some guy who had been like working on skills and conditioning with the team. So it's like, they just kind of like rope him in. Um, So like, if if you're not already there, you know, you're not going to get tapped for that position Mm -hmm. when the, when the team's in a pinch, you kind of have to be there already. So So it's like, it's, it's purely opportunistic.
3: Do you see like um, generally that women kind of get less of an opportunity to fail than men do in these high, in these like if, if they manage to get a high profile coaching position, they do you, th- do you feel that they've, they're given less leeway? Um, like if they don't get into the championships, they might be axed a little, a little sooner than a man might. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true, at least not in women's hockey, just because hmm. I think that it's such an unstable landscape
2: anyway. Yeah. Um, but they, they definitely, I think get more, get more flack for it. I mean, just from fans and like commentators and writers Um you know, any woman really who's in like a position of power in a league or organization, she, she gets, I think um from mainstream media, she'll always get like a bit of a tougher, a tougher go of things just because mm-hmm. I don't know, she, it's almost like writers perceive these people as unproven all the time. Um, whereas men are in these positions are often just as, if not more, unproven. So,
1: yeah, weirdly, it's, I don't know. So, I think our our perception and and what people believe is that because there are so many more men who have have access and compete in sports and everything like that, then if you're you're successful in it, that means that you've beaten out so many other people and. So supply and demand wise, um, if you're a good f- woman who is an athlete and you're, you're at the top of your game, well, then you just haven't had to beat as many people to do that because there's fewer people. And I think that compounds the issue of women's successes. Even when they're successful, their success is rated against somebody else who has nothing to do with them.
2: Yeah, and also like who defines success necessarily? Mm-hmm. Um it's usually, you know, people who are pundits or people who are just like kind of talking, you know, in in media and fan spheres about like what success means, um especially like, you know, for smaller leagues um that might have more more parity because mm-hmm. they don't have the same financial resources like in like women's sports leagues, for example. Um you know, it's kind of hard to say what what makes a coach successful, I think, at times, because the, the inequalities that teams face, you know, with regards to, say, facilities, training, uh, training time, just literally, like, having time to train and be a good team. Um, there's so much inequality there. So it's, like, how much burden can you really necessarily place on a coach in that situation? And arguably, you know, you might say that success of the coach in that situation and maybe in general uh, should be defined as like whether or not the team is happy and whether or not they feel like they're improving, you know, on an individual basis Mm -hmm. and as a team with what they have at hand. Whereas like in men's sports, that's absolutely unacceptable. Like, you know, you're supposed to be in the hunt for the championship every year. God forbid you don't like you're, you're not a winning team. Um, And any team that, Doesn't spend enough money, for example, is considered an embarrassment. For example, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mm -hmm. So it's like (laughs) poor (laughs) pirates. Yeah. So it's like who's saying who's successful or not? It's a completely different paradigm based Mm -hmm. on what the the end game is. Mm -hmm. And you know, if if we're gonna say like that, women's teams have to be like men's teams in that regard, then they're gonna become more cutthroat, I think, and Mm -hmm. also more male Mm -hmm. um, because. I don't think that women athletes, you know, obviously they want to win and I've never met an athlete who didn't want to w- want to win, but I don't think they, they think like that because they're still trying to get like basic resources. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. So <laughs> so it's like, so, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, it's okay. I, I want to probably not this right this second, but I do want to talk about college sports, high school sports and, and title nine, um so we'll we'll remember that later in the comp- competition for resources. I don't know, do you guys think we should take a break right there? Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. Yay, <laughs> go team. <laughs> we'll we'll be right back.
2: You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Lou. Uh, I'm with Amanda and Zoe. Hi. Hi. And we are, if you hadn't heard our last bit, we're talking again about women in sports. As again. Again. Again.
3: Uh, Everyone's groaning. No, you're all
1: <laughs> cheering. Liz. You are. Better Simon. all be cheering. If you're not cheering, please. We
3: will. Yeah. We want to hear from you for,
1: <laughs> for innocent Send reasons. Send us an email. No. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay. The <laughs> point is we are talking about winning women in sports and specifically why the reasons why women in are basically absent from leadership positions, even in women's sports, which is kind of ironic. Um, in the last section, we talked briefly about Title IX. And I'd like to spend some time talking about Title IX, what it is, and kind of the consequences of it as far as administrative and everything else. So so Title IX, what is it? <laughs> it's a law. It is a law.
2: It's a thing that mm-hmm. requires um universities to provide uh like equitable resources on campus for for women, particularly in sports and this basically means that, like, if a men's program uh, receives a certain amount of funding um, for this number of athletes, that the school should provide that same type of support for female athletes in the same realm. Um,
3: and which, if they fail to do that, they'll lose their federal funding. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's, it's not just universities, is it? I thought I also applied to high schools. It's any any federally funded Institution, institution. So, so it's
1: a pretty broad re. It's a pretty broad law, then.
2: If if you yeah, are an institution, it covers a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the the main thrust of it. Um, and I believe that like it, it basically has created like this necessary space in university funding for women's sports, and it's led to you know, a lot of very high profile women's programs, um, getting more support and more funding, um, that they, they really needed to elevate themselves. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as, um, Amanda brings up, it also kind of had some consequences that were negative for women in leadership positions Mm -hmm. because.
1: Yeah. For, well, for, so first I want to say that Title IX has, ironically, it's, it's done some, some negative things, but it. Zoe, you've mentioned before how one of the issues in women's sports is that there's not necessarily equal access to resources, um, especially in in professional sports. And so on the university, high school level, level, anything that's a public institution, there is a a little more equity between men's sports and women's sports because of Title IX. So this is a good thing that has, well, it's created opportunities for women athletes that otherwise didn't exist. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is it's it's has its points Um, because before Title IX, this is and what we're what we're about
3: to talk about is kind of an unintended consequence. Like this is not this was not a deliberate right. um, Like the law was not engineered to do this, but it ended up. it it ended up having a consequence of so. So uh, what happened then was. You know, there's this massive infusion of money into women's sports programs where there weren't, where there wasn't that before, and the salaries of coaching positions, especially of of women's teams, went way up because they had more money to pay um, the coaches. And then, and they kind of had an
1: obligation to pay the same. mm -hmm. Not not just there was more money; they had to pay the same because it was it was supposed to be equal opportunity. At least that—that that I believe was the intent of the law.
3: Yes. Well, yeah. I, r- the effect of it was that the, the that the um, salaries went way up, and then what happened was men were attracted to those higher salaried positions and pushed and and those those oper- those coaching positions that had been formerly low paid but going to women were going to women were, are now going to men, and I think the statistic is a, is ninety percent women coached ninety percent of women's teams. In 1972 which is that was before title nine mm-hmm. and then after title nine now in 2012 that the year is 2012. that's year 43 <laughs> okay, percent so that's like um and it's been it's basically been steady i think if i remember correctly at around the in around the 40s mm-hmm. um basically since title nine was passed so mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, so in there, theory, you're making, you're
2: making that coaching position, like, more competitive, quote unquote, but yeah. at the same time, then you're, like, you're bringing in a bunch of other applicants who may not necessarily be qualified to coach a women's a sports team, but they have experience in coaching men's teams, um, which, it, obviously, there are a lot of similarities between the games, but it's, like, they, they're bringing in this experience that isn't necessarily analogous um but they have like these kind of sparkling credentials if they've been a successful coach of a men's team or a successful men's player. Yeah. Um
1: yeah, it's exactly so, and, what you said. So so there's a clear basically a line in the sand. Before Title 9, women's sports while few and the programs were were few and far between, um were coached mostly by women. Like overwhelming majority was women. And after title nine there's there's more programs, but majority coached by men
3: it's kind of it's kind of once once it's interesting to think about the money floods in all of a sudden there are programs that are to be taken seriously by men, yeah. and then that's when like you you mentioned, they started to become competitive
2: so yeah. Yeah. wow, it's, sorry, it's man. almost like we're it's almost like we're saying that uh you know money dictates like what constitutes a legitimate program
3: <laughs> <which> <laughs> may
2: not be fair. You mean right.
3: the market is like important in this, in in all aspects of <laughs> of this society? Uh, Guess what guys, we live in a society. <laughs> <Did you know? laughs> well done team.
1: Uh, yeah. So post title nine, there is, there's a lot more money in these programs and, so men start coming in and saying, oh, well, yeah, I'll coach that since it actually pays a decent wage. Whereas presumably before women weren't earning much of a wage, I'm guessing, if, if the, the job was so unattractive to, to men who had other options and didn't have to, as always put before, like chase your dreams and follow your passion or whatever, um, you don't need a, a good wage in order to, to do that. Because and that's an, it's a calling. that's yeah. something
3: that Zoe mentioned in the, in the previous episode we recorded with her on sports is and obviously feel free to not let me put words your <laughs> mouth, but that those it's it's in women's programs because of the lack it's there's less much, there's I mean in pro, we we're talking about professional leagues which don't that's not something that title title nine has nothing to do with um like professional leagues uh but that there's a lot more passion and dedication and love and, like, genuine love for the sport. And it shouldn't be that way. They shouldn't have to, like, sacrifice a living wage to do something that they love, but it ends up it ends up being kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, it almost ends up being, like, a selling point of the whole thing, which is yeah. weird. It's almost like, oh, look at these poor women who have to work so hard, and it's like, you know, they're still they're still not getting anything out of you saying, like, look at them, look how hard they're trying. Like, you know, it's not, it's not actually changing like the way that the sport is put on and funded. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like the only, what people say the only model is that like women's sports have to aspire to is like the success and quote unquote prestige of men's sports, no matter how like crappy a men's sport is or how crappy a men's team is, it's still considered like more legit than a women's team, you know, like a guy, A guy often like will take a women's coaching job like on a women's team and then like he'll move up to some other team, you know, that happens to be a men's team. It's just like, why is that? Why are we still framing it as like this is like a lower level or like it's like JV squad or something? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So on the one hand, like it's still treated and seen as that. But because it does have the more money to it, then men are like, yeah, I guess I can do that until something better comes along. Jerks. Sorry, men, you don't come out very nice in this one.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, and I do know, I've met a lot of coaches of women's teams who like, they seemed very passionate about it. And they seemed like they had a great deal of respect for the athletes. And I know that, you know, at least from a financial perspective, it may have often been, you know more work than they were getting paid for necessarily, but like, you know, why is that? I don't know. Obviously men take it different. Men experience it differently. Like when women have to do more work, um, to get something done or to get someone to listen to them, you know, it's, that's kind of like every day for us. Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) men get frustrated with it very quickly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It is. <laughs> Ugh, it is. It's, it's amazing how sometimes men don't see a lot of things as being a systemic problem. It's like an individual problem.
2: Yeah. Or like, you know, this happened to me today and it sucked. And it's yeah. well, like it's every day. Right. Um, and I think that maybe, I mean, maybe that's why, um, you know, when coaching jobs in women's sports, maybe like more unattractive to men in that case is because they, they probably see it as like a dead end um, because it doesn't like, it doesn't conform to what they have been told their whole lives is success, like career success. Unfortunately, I don't think women's sports is necessarily doing a whole lot to change that right now, just because they're still, they're still presenting it as like, Oh, we're going to be like the, like the men's league one day. Um, at least that's what I get from hockey most of the time. Um, I can't, I guess I can't really speak as, as clearly to like basketball and soccer, which are obviously they're more successful than hockey right now. And I do think that they've kind of made an effort to market themselves on their own merits,
0: so to speak,
2: Um, as opposed to saying like, Oh, we're going to be like the NBA or we're going to be like major league soccer. And, you know, I I think soccer is probably where it's the closest I think salary-wise, like that's probably the, at least in the states, um, yeah. that's probably like the the smallest wage gap, and that's probably why to me, you know, the the end of USL seems like it's, you know, it's doing it's doing the best job, um, just because like it isn't it isn't necessarily like closely aligning itself with with Major League Soccer. Um, it's just being like, Hey, this is this is us and this is who mm-hmm. we are. Um, and I think there are more women coaches in under USL too, which is interesting.
3: That's cool.
2: Um, Woo, go with that. It's like just the idea of like what it takes to be in a leadership position in general, like we often attribute these as like being male or masculine qualities. Right. Um, and I think that once you realize that the gender binary is a lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then that's, that's really where you can begin to make more progress is like by, by saying like what makes a good administrator, what makes a good leader, what makes a good coach? Like, you know, it has to be a variety of qualities and we can't describe them as gendered qualities. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately <laughs> title nine doesn't do anything about that. No, no, no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so To get back to Title IX again, one of the other problems that has happened in in limited women in coaching positions because of Title IX is the recombination of a women's program and a men's program into just a unified sports program, which is then staffed
3: entirely by men the administrative positions In Ad- administrative yeah. positions and then the men are making the hiring decisions and the men are identifying in ca- potential coaching candidates what you were just talking about these lead these things that are that we perceive as leadership qualities or qualities that should be um that a coach should have that are masculine traits and then <laughs> they're or you, that are that are assigned masculine traits or we just all agreed that the binary is a lie. Um, but anyway, there um, the, the hiring decisions are made by people who identify um, masculine aggressive qualities as, as, as important to coaching. And then, then that just perpetuates the lack of um, women in coaching positions even more. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or it's like, you know, you, you know, this guy, cause you used to play with him, yeah. you know, when you guys had your playing career together. So it's like, it's, just boys club stuff, which mm-hmm. seems like so obvious. Like, you know, that maybe we wouldn't be doing that now, but mm-hmm. it is. It's just like if you know a guy who seems good, then you just you bring him on yeah. in.
1: I mean, it's hard. I it's hard to combat or or find the desire to combat with any kind of seriousness the a, a, a systemic problem that gives you an advantage over somebody. So I imagine it's hard for a dude to to say that there's a whole lot of problems with the way things are if the way things are benefit them so much.
2: Yeah, I mean they they just they can't see it. No, they can't. <laughs> they can't and and and
1: furthermore they they would have a hard time attributing that systemic problem to to anything beyond them. So if I I feel like other people if they knew that the position they're in the wealth they have the luck they have the whatever is because of issues beyond them or things beyond them it's got to be hard psychologically to to stomach that you know because it means that what happens to you and everything doesn't have anything to do with your your internal qualities or your natural traits or anything like that it's it's something else entirely and it's systemic, and that's hard to combat. Like that's hard to think. So you can have, I think, a million men saying, "Yes, we need to do more to improve or, or, or get women into coaching," but they can't see because of it would break them mentally and emotionally. <laughs> to that, the reason they have the positions is because of the st- systemic problems.
3: You're, you're- yeah,
2: like. <laughs> Like maybe I'm actually trash and I just not like get to this point on like pure meritocracy because yeah. obviously meritocracy is real and works.
3: And my friend. It's real and it's my friend. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly.
1: And and so it like on the one hand, if you're outside of that system and you don't benefit from it, it's kind of easy to see. But I think a lot of people would just break down in the middle of the street if they had to every day think about not just in, in your job but in in your life in your livelihood in the house you have in the car you drive and you know everything about you is because of larger things outside yourself and that you have no control. Man, this got really dark.
2: <laughs> no, but 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 we do have some control. because like, mm-hmm. we, we can dictate what what success means for ourselves. Yeah. Um, which I think like That's kind of what we wanted to get into later as like our upside of this whole situation. But like, you know, it really, the main thing that we have to do is just like abandon this whole notion that the the current models of like what constitutes success and leadership are real because they're not, um, Obviously, that doesn't help you, like, make a living, though. So you have to yeah, figure right. out something else to do in lieu of that. And that is psychologically difficult. Mm-hmm.
3: And and all um, this requires so much change in, like, cultural attitudes. And that's a very difficult project, right? That takes a long time and a lot of work. It starts by listening to Punching Out. It does. By the way. Yeah. It does. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to all our episodes, I don't know how many we have. More than 50. I'm, I know for sure you should be prepared to, by the end of the episodes, totally have your...
1: Emotionally, you can confront your demons. You're prepared, yes. Congratulations.
3: Yeah,
2: you're you're emotionally ready for the revolution. It's not going
1: to get you down. Man, we're doing everybody a fake service here. That's awesome. Yeah, okay, so to recap... Title IX, while it did give a lot of opportunities it, to it, everyday people, it
3: has some unintended consequences,
1: like most things. Um, and just and it's those, inadequate,
3: and it, and it is
1: inadequate. Like Amanda said, it is a bandaid over a bullet hole, um, because it's not just it, it isn't enough to just throw money at the problem, right? Like
2: you have to you have to make an actual structural adjustment that you know acknowledges the the history that has created the structural inequality um so you have to kind of undo it and throwing money at it is not an undoing Mm
0: -hmm.
3: yeah so so what we're saying is if we're reform or revolution we're gonna (laughs) lean towards revolution (laughs) (laughs) yes correct in case you didn't know that already (laughs) that is the official
1: punching out uh platform right there revolution what yeah
3: <laughs> Here's what's to be done. All right. Exactly. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll take a break
1: now. When we come back, we can talk about what those changes need to be. So, so we've talked about the changes, other things we can do to make the world a better place.
2: You're listening to Punching Out on WayO 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Hey, welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Zoe. I'm here with Lou and Amanda. <laughs> Hi. Hey, guys. And we're talking about uh, structural inequality that leads to women, particularly in sports, but really everywhere, Um, not being in leadership positions, if you're just joining us. And we are talking now about how we can change things. Um, And I had a bit that I was ready for, but I don't know if I want to start. So who wants to start? Okay. How are we going to change the structural inequality? How are we going to do it? So,
1: all right. So we've talked at length in this episode (laughs) about how money probably isn't the answer. Hmm. So, well, well, it is the not it, answer, but it's not. Thr- we're not. It's not the only. It's not the. It's <laughs> not the only how, answer. Yeah, like there, there should be better answers than money. Access to resources and having the funding in order to accomplish a lot of goals is important in the short term, but ultimately may not solve all the problems of equity between men's sports and women's sports and leadership in either one of those.
2: Yeah, um, I think my first thing was that you, not, you don't have to just give more resources to women. You have to take resources away oh. from, from people who have had their fair share. Like you have to reduce the, the excess of resources that have been granted to professional men's sports particularly like, you know, the big men's leagues, like right. the NFL, the NHL, maybe like baseball, um, like they, they can't be mil- like billionaires anymore. They can't just have like this untold, like obscene amount of money all the time. And that shouldn't be what we aspire to. We should aspire to actual equality, which means that everyone should have a reasonable amount of resources to take care of themselves and to take care of their families and their livelihoods. Yes. Like, so
1: Okay, that makes a lot more you sense
2: Yeah. It makes a lot more sense <laughs> other than trying to be like, Well, everyone's a millionaire now. Right. It's fully automated, luxury, everything. <laughs> um I like it.
1: I think what I was trying to say is is that a lot of the solutions that people try to propose for, for how to make women's sports more interesting is just throw more money at the problem. Like that's the the problems that eventually happened with Title IX is You know, you just throw more money at the problem and you just end up perpetuating the the systemic issues. You've just made it shinier, if
2: that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we talk about that a lot, like when we're talking about um, quality of life, like, Mm -hmm. you know, in the planetary sense, like, you know, it's like, oh, we're not all dying of like terrible, curable diseases anymore. But a lot of us still are. And mm-hmm. it's it's just not as common, but a lot of us still get terrible diseases. And it's like we all have cell phones now, but that doesn't mean we're not suffering. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> my cell phone yeah. personally makes me suffer all the time. I will
2: definitely it's like attest to that. You know, just the presence of luxury doesn't like, and the presence of money doesn't necessarily eliminate what the problem was before. Mm-hmm. It just means that there's like a nicer object associated with it now. Yeah.
1: Exactly that. So in taking away resources and in, in that, I think that's an, a very actually good solution because exactly what you said, Zoe, it makes the... Like we've talked in the previous episode we did that women's sports too often tries to just mirror men's sports and make it exactly like that, but with women instead of men. And that's not something that we at least here uh feel that that's a good enough goal
2: yeah just because there's more money involved in it it Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that it's good i also think that like like i was talking about before like kind of gendered qualities like i think we need to reframe the idea of being a good leader as something that has different qualities like i think that being a good leader also means like being very empathetic which is like traditionally yeah. construed as like a female quality like emotional mm-hmm. labor is like women's labor but I think everyone should have to do emotional labor if they're going to be in a leadership position like they should be mm-hmm. good at emotional labor mm-hmm. everyone should be good at emotional labor mm-hmm. like that's it's the most important kind of labor in yeah. you know in my opinion
1: it's it's the, also one of the hardest too we'll
3: yeah like it's very
1: challenging yeah, em-
3: yeah episode on emotional labor coming in the uh, near future coming
1: coming to your wayo station soon uh, so <laughs> yeah and ironically especially with men in power projecting a little bit here but you know you if you personally have a problem with your leadership and your leader is a dude or s- even somebody just on the internet then then managing your emotions are on you. But when it's a woman, then that person needs to, that leader needs to, you know, make sure that they're going around being, oh, okay, are you all right? It's fine like that. Like it's it's so two-sided.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it's a double standard for sure. That's
1: the word. So yeah, so taking away resources, I think that's a good, elegant solution.
2: Well, a lot of people would say that that's not an elegant solution and that it's (laughs) not fair. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And that it's like, you know, it, it's not show fair. some kind of entitlement but it's I think that like throughout fair. history you know throughout history when people are talking about like how to address structural inequality mm-hmm. like often and these are people who like get shouted down all the time so I'm really just like taking after them but it's like you know there has to be some actual level of uh of reparation for what was done before um you know and I think any any labor movement any civil rights movement often talks about like but what are our reparations going to be? Like, how are we going to get compensated for how you screwed us for decades, centuries, et cetera. Um, And oftentimes it's like, well, we're not really going to do
3: that, but here's some more stuff. Well, that requires Um, acknowledging that there's a material problem there. Like that, that, like we've said, money isn't just some magical like thing. It's, it's, it does make a difference when you don't have money and you, or you do. Um, Uh, And I mean, that's because money like in under capitalism, money denotes
2: what like how you can get things that give you dignity, you know, like shelter and food and like safety. (laughs) So it's like it's almost like we should be working towards dignity and not working towards money. And at some point, you know, money became representative of dignity um, in a way that like it shouldn't have. But that's that's capitalism,
3: I guess.
1: I think that should be the catchphrase of the whole show. That's capitalism, I guess.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you we're a little less blase than that.
2: Like.
3: <laughs> uh, do you do you guys
2: have any other ideas about how we can how we can disrupt? What would be the most yes. disruptive thing that you could do like in your own workplace? for example, to like be, be a leader in a way that maybe isn't thought of as like being a traditional leader, like, you know, a masculine leader. (laughs)
3: Uh,
1: Well, okay. So I've talked about this before, but one of the weird things about my job is that it is for an industry that is not necessarily women dominated. 75% of the people who work in my organization are women. Including the, really? top, yeah, including the top two uh, leaders. And in fact, every single boss I've ever had has been a woman,
3: which That's is so weird. That's interesting. Yeah. Very much the exception to the rule. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: it is weird. I feel very fortunate, because honestly, I've never not liked my bosses, even the ones that were kind of emotionally manipulative. <laughs> if that makes sense. They're <laughs> good emotional manipulators. Uh, but but part of that is just how management works. Is
3: yeah, on a certain point, yeah. especially if you're doing well, shift work, so you have to it's manipulate okay. people into working. You don't have to like. You can like your bosses on a personal level, but they are your class enemies. And at the <laughs> end of the day, you they are going to be there. Um, not, s- s- things that are not nice will happen to them if we <laughs> can help. We continue, but that's hypothetically,
1: yeah. Um. <laughs> So, one of the problems I have with the the liberal feminist approach to making the world more equitable is to just have more women CEOs or, but or <laughs> the more women prison guards, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I, that's not disruptive enough. Like it's representation, it's not disruptive at all. It's not. It's
3: like we've been talking the whole time about well, you know, there's a fundamental systemic issue here that creates like the. the that having of having a more women CEOs and again like we mentioned uh, Sheryl Sandberg earlier that doesn't erase the essential problems with Facebook which is that it's a reactionary. Company. It has problems. It has problems. It has <laughs> problems.
1: <laughs> which are well documented. Uh, I mean,
2: yeah, I I mean the problem with Facebook is that like it's uh, an all-seeing eye that sells out regular people to a capitalist media machine. Mm-hmm among other things, I guess
3: mm-hmm. that, that was the best they could come up with on short notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, in a broader, in a broader sense, it's, it's like the, the, we're, the broader thing is that, the, you know, a, a woman in charge is still in charge and there exactly. are things like we're not, the, the, coaching is not analogous to like a, a CEO because,
1: but being a general uh, manager or a, an owner mm-hmm. of a team yeah. is, it, th- I it, think. Yeah. So, so yeah, the the problem with that metaphor and with that liberal perspective is that it just ends up re- perpetuating the systemic problems again, because at a certain level, you have to be bought into the system in order to run it, unless exactly. your goal is like, to run it in the ground.
2: Yeah, like you're not going to advance in any organization unless you drink the Kool-Aid, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely so like, that. In, inherently, people end up in leadership positions of organizations that already exist because they drank the Kool Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not it's not often that you see like a company have an uprising or a revolution of some kind within <laughs> itself and actually survive.
3: Right. You know. Just using that rhetoric in the context is really funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just pretty yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. Like you have to partake of the Kool-Aid in order to to get to those levels. And I think it's not – I'm going to say this. It's not realistic to uh, just try to plant saboteurs in leadership positions. I think that would be hard to do. It might be effective. I don't know how effective it would actually be if it would be worth the effort. Because (laughs) – like, what are you going to do? You just destroy the organization. Cool.
3: That's one company you just Right, that's, that's one. Uh, Whoop-dee-doo.
1: Another one will come up right behind it.
3: I mean,
2: isn't there actually, like, a, an, a right-wing doomsday call that, you know, supports <laughs> our current administration because of, of something
1: like this? <laughs> I am unfamiliar with this. <laughs> uh, if no, you like, say so, Zoe.
2: <laughs> no, like, Steve Bannon, like, believes that, like, it's, like, his role or whatever to, like, accelerate, like, the decline of society or something like that? That
3: tracks. <laughs> I mean, am I, am I he's doing decor- a good job. He's, 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 he's uh, supporting uh, his own decline. Have you seen that guy kind of, lately? Like, woo! He's <laughs> <laughs> not looking yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: well, anyway. You know, that's that's an idea. But, yeah, like, any any kind of... It, it's not enough to reform. We need a revolution. Yeah, no,
2: no. No, it's not. It's never enough to reform. I'm like, so at my workplace, I don't want to give like too much away. I'm in Mm -hmm. an educational organization. Mm -hmm. um, And we're currently doing like an assessment of um, where we are from like a diversity and inclusion perspective um, and how we can be more inclusive in the future, which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. um, Especially because like we kind of frame ourselves as like a justice and equity like that's kind of part of our mission statement is like being um, socially active um, in a way that I would consider to be mildly progressive. Um, <laughs> mildly. So, yeah, it's a ringing endorsement. Um, <laughs> but, like, something that I'm trying to do on that committee that's, like, supporting this inclusion work is just, like, you know, not not tolerating necessarily, like, you know, the the white progressive attitude of, like, oh, well, we're – you know, we're, we're already diverse. We're already inclusive. We're already doing a good job of like supporting um, diverse leadership when it's like the numbers really don't bear that out. It's almost like tokenization.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. um,
2: so I think that that's something that you can do in in your workplace is um, not support um, people like upholding themselves as like examples of um progressivism when it's really just like kind of tokenism. So like if someone's saying like, well, we have a woman or we have a person of color in this leadership position, like, but how much influence does that person have? Are you really like listening to them or, you know, were they just the person that you found that, you know, like we said before, like that drank your Kool-Aid, mm-hmm. like, are are you just bringing in people who drank the Kool-Aid or are you like actually making an effort to be more inclusive mm-hmm. at, in your hiring processes and in your promotion processes? Yeah. Um,
1: that's something we talked about Ralph. on a on an episode we did quite a wh- ways back now um, on diversity training and, you know, those kind of like HR hooky things. We're like, we're going to make our diverse or our organization more diverse. And and a lot of times for some organizations, it just turns into a meeting or a month worth of activities to have a more diverse mindset. But then when it comes to actually a more diverse mindset, (laughs) yeah, kind (laughs) of HR talk is like garbage. It's fun. It's fascinating. Uh, But when it comes to time to actually challenge the status quo and push back in that, it's hard to do because it's comfortable to stay in the same place if you are benefiting from that. And a lot of the people mm-hmm. in leadership are doing that.
3: And also, it's ulti- so a lot of that stuff is ultimately, I think, just about making yourself feel better. Like, yeah. self-congratulatory. Yes. If you've, ever, if you've ever heard the song, the Phil Oaks song, Love Me, I'm a Liberal, it's that. <laughs> that <laughs> it's is that. a good song. <laughs> It that is song good. is a very good. Um, but uh, highly recommend it. Anyway, yeah.
1: So that's that is a good point. Like, it, and that takes a lot of moral fiber, I guess, to to try to challenge that and be mindful of it. But it is definitely something that can be done in the here and now that would have a difference on a lot of aspects of equity. Yeah. Yeah. And like,
2: if you can if you can do it where you're at, like Mm -hmm. it's, it really doesn't have to be like hard. It can just be like a matter of like calling someone out, maybe not your boss, but maybe someone who's like near you being like, Hey, you know, like that thing you said wasn't cool. Or like, why don't you think that, you know, the next person hired in this position could be a woman, you know, Mm -hmm. just asking basic questions and getting people to like reflect maybe on what their own biases are. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a little bit of emotional labor, but if you can take it on, give it a go, yeah,
1: emotional labor is it's a thing it's tough, okay, so what else can we do to to disrupt take down the system? I still <laughs> like the idea best of taking the money from the dudes. It could be the Robin Hood program. Mm. see it already mm. even has a name. redistribute ah. wealth redistribute yeah. wealth, yes that's, I mean that's what that's that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. So from from a spectator standpoint, I think it's high time. Like sports are fun. They're supposed to be mindless. That's why a lot of athletes can, in the, the court of popular opinion, at least for some of them, can get away with really egregious behavior because we don't want to mm-hmm. think about the ickiness of – of sports and and what it can be
3: like. And uh, yeah, we need to acknowledge like the the cult. I mean, we all in this room understand that, that sports are political as (laughs) political as other cultural, like entertainment products as Mm -hmm. the same way as art. If you go to see a movie, there's, there can be political aspects of that. Like Mm -hmm. um, sports are incredibly political. Yes. And there's a lot of politics that play out in the context like, in that little contained, like, two-hour block of time, there's a mm-hmm. lot of, there's a, it's a little microcosm of all the social problems. And, I mean, that's the kind of the, con, the point we've been making this whole episode, is, like, you know.
1: <laughs> sports are a lens through which we can look at other aspects of labor and yeah. sexism. So I think we need to do more as spectators to demand more from our sports teams and from our sports yeah.
2: organizations. Like, don't. Don't support, you know, a team or a league that, for example, I don't know, hires or retains a domestic abuser, mm-hmm. um, which is something that comes up a lot in like every major professional sports league. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, don't don't give them your money. Stop watching. Stop watching that team mm-hmm. like, and tell people why you're not watching it. Um you know it, it does make people think about these things more closely it really does like I've experienced it in my workplace I've experienced it with like lots of people that I just like meet casually out in the world you know it's like they might give you some some pushback about it especially if they're a dude but like they yeah. they do think about it
1: yeah and <laughs> personally because that happened to my the team I favor recently is over the, the summer oh. they I know it's really heartbreaking because it's it's, it feels like shouting into the void.
3: Well, it it a little, it mm-hmm. kind of is to be honest. Like mm-hmm. you are one person doing one. I mean,
1: but that's if, true of you, every single social movement or political movement.
3: Yeah, it starts yeah, but with you need one to person. Org- that's the thing is you yeah. need to have coll- then f- collectively yeah. follow through. But these are we're talking about small things that you right. can do in immediate exactly. future.
1: Exactly, and then if your your favorite you know sports team did hire a domestic abuser, just you know watch women's sports instead. Which have their problems, but I'm just saying switch to
3: something else. It's more deserving. Just like watch women's sports instead as a general rule. Go to a Buttes game. Like we said last time. they Yeah, go to a yeah. yeah, Buttes game. They're neighbors. They're great. They they yeah.
2: Yeah. So they did just fire their head coaches, but they have it and they hired two guys. Yeah.
1: <laughs> start your own league. I think that's what we need to do. <laughs> just start all over from scratch. Amateur we're calling for socialist hockey leagues. That's what we're doing
2: right <laughs> now. That's what I've been doing for like years now. <laughs> calling for a, for an anti-capitalist <laughs> hockey league.
1: I like it. All right, you got two more players here, Zoe. Congratulations.
2: Uh, <laughs> I can't I can't
1: I cannot. Skate, I skate though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I skate. Yeah. I can no, okay, that's not true. I can skate, but I can't stop.
2: Yeah, that's me too. I can't. I can skate, but I can't stop. So This'll I just be like. I I'm the skating. Phil
3: Castle of this new league, except for not. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Sorry, Ryan.
1: <laughs> so yes, oh. these are all good things. Mm-hmm. That would be a very fun hockey league to watch. Is just a whole bunch of people <laughs> blindly skating around
2: and running into the walls. Yeah, that
3: would well,
2: actually like, be hilarious. just imagine. Imagine how much like better sports would be if like everyone had equal access
3: to resources, yeah, like
2: it would be so cool you really like, could
3: you might have actually way more ta- the, the people that don't have like that you might have a lot of naturally talented athletes that are buried under their circumstance that this the that kind of equitable distribution of resources might raise them up, and you might get to actually see like incredible i mean not that there's not that that isn't the case but there are definitely people who are extremely talented who are like prevented from from realizing their potential um because of their because of poverty or because they're a woman or because they're a black you know or whatever so Mm -hmm. more equitable distribution of resources would be great
1: yeah well first take away the resources then Take reach. away the resources well, from men. Work. Yes, <laughs>
3: that's what we're yeah. That's okay, equitable. the a two-step st- system. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do something, with, do <laughs> something. Do something.
1: Come on, guys. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we're about out of time, so thank you guys for listening. I'm Lou. I'm Amanda. I'm Zoe. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks. Bye. 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 I'm